0: This is the Snippet Sports Science, proudly brought to you by EliteForm.com. I'm Chris Cavilio, and this is Jared Coleman Stark. Today, we're going to review the paper Effects of Post Activation Potentiation Warm Up in Male and Female Sport Performances, a brief review by Coop Doreen out at Hawaii, where you're <laughs> from, Jared. I am yeah,
1: very. I was very excited when I saw that. I was like, oh, a Hawaii researcher. That's unusual, isn't it? <laughs> yeah,
0: very good. And what I. Initially what brought me to this paper was here's, the differentiation between male and female sport performance. Traditionally we speak a lot about male performances and that's what a lot of research is based around. So when I saw the differentiation between the both, I was actually really excited to get into this paper, and I think we're going to be exploring a little bit more into the, the female side of sports specifically, because I really believe that's an untapped area of performance. Right, and we think a lot of the
1: female training has been derived from male sports literature, which we know is just not applicable. The more and more that we look into it, the more we realise that you cannot apply
0: male sports science literature to female training. It doesn't work. That's Right. That's right. So in terms of just a general introduction, did you want to leave this one off for us today, Jared?
1: Absolutely. So we've been looking at a lot of pre-competitive sort of strategies, and this is another one of those pre-competitive strategies, post-activation potentiation, that can be used to assist explosive performance. We know that uh, heavy preload warm-up protocols can elicit a post-activation potentiation with explosive male and female athletes. This results in enhanced performance.
0: The big consideration around potentiation, and what you actually do, is the fatigue that is associated with what you do as a potentiator versus the potential outcome in performance. And that's a really important consideration. So for example, there's been reported of some jump performances in decreases after preload high intensity warm-ups, And that's may have been possibly attributed to possible muscle fatigue.
1: So you really have to catch it on the correct wave, uh, because when you do a high load performance, you both have fatigue effects following that performance, but you also have potentiating effects. So at what time point, following that heavy resistance training, do you minimize the fatigue and maximize the
0: potentiation? That's just the one negative consideration. There's so many positives to it. Opposed from the fatigue component, there's reported to be other possible influences on potentiation, such as muscle fiber type of the athlete, the performance level, the training regime, the type of exercise, recovery time between the preload stimulus and the dynamic performance testing, training experience, gender, and the intensities. Everyone wants to understand the mechanisms behind why something works. So in this respect, potentiation and subsequent improved performances remain uncertain, but there's actually been thrown out there that possibly the mechanism theories include increased phosphorylation of light chain myosin and the increased neurological factors in the spinal cord. Potentially one that they haven't brought into here is a hormonal improvement.
1: That's an excellent point, especially for those for the very rapidly responding catecholamines um, like not just testosterone and cortisol, but the, the more rapidly responding ones of your adrenaline and your noradrenaline. Those are going to have
0: massive needed effects. Mm. Yeah, that's for sure. And just to go a little bit further, when we talk about the phosphorylation of myosin light chains, This talks about the small proteins which improve the interactions between the myosin and thin filaments. So this phosphate binding leads to an increase in the rate by which myosin cross-bridges move from non-force to force-producing, resulting in contractile muscle activation. Better muscle activation, better performance. All right, and so we probably won't go
1: into the full depth of how myosinactin cross-bridging occurs, but basically by doing a heavier effort, you prime the actin-myosin fibers to be able to be
0: cross bridged So in respect to the spinal cord, they just spoke about an increased synaptic efficacy between 1A afferent and alpha motor neurons of the muscle. And moreover, possibly potentiation occurs as a result of both myogenic and urogenic influences. So now
1: splitting the literature into male studies and female studies, the majority of male post-activation potentiation warm-up studies have been conducted in lower body jump performances and upper body performances in bench press throws, mess and bolt power drop, and explosive push-ups. So looking at those very explosive lower and upper body movements. So some studies have shown that there is a benefit, whereas other studies have shown that there's a decrement in performance from post-activation potential. So this could be a difference in the protocol that is used in the different studies.
0: I think always when you're reading a study and if it says something doesn't work, you need to just dig into the study and find out what level of study, what level of athletes that they work. Traditionally, very rarely will you find a study that use very high elite level athletes. And if that's who you're working with, that's what you need to consider. And just because a study says it doesn't work, doesn't mean it's not gonna work for your cohort. Right, it's important to be able to understand the literature that you're looking at. So often the effects in
1: untrained athletes will be the complete opposite of the effects in highly
0: trained athletes. In terms of female potentiation studies, as we're all starting to gather by this study and what we've said earlier there's limited studies examining these effects in female sports performances but most of these studies have examined jump performances so for example they had a male and female PAP warm-up study where it resulted in significant counter-movement vertical jump height increases of around 3.3 percent for both men and women after isometric voluntary squats warm-up one study actually reported significant greater increases in the concentric only jump squat performances in the athletic male and female groups than in a recreational trained male and female groups so the subjects in the elite athletic group were all involved in explosive strength sports division one soccer elite national triathlete and five usa weightlifting collegiate national champions this again here brings in the differences around the type of athlete you're dealing with if they're used to the movement and it really relates well to their sport and their training they've done, good chances they're probably getting a good response from this. Right, they
1: make quite a few notes throughout the paper that the more the the acting to benefit from them.
0: In another male to female, in another in another pap jump warm-up study using both male and female athletes, they use experienced and inexperienced weightlifters. So they investigated the type of muscle contraction, isometric versus dynamic, Gender and lifting experience on potentiation as changes in jump height and power output. In this case, they used 30 men and women, classified as either experienced or non-experiences, where they performed three counter movement jumps. For the first set, the pre or the pretest uses a baseline of jump height and power. The second set was performed after a maximal isometric squat protocol, and the third set of jumps was performed after a maximal dynamic squat protocol. They reported that after the maximal isometric squat protocol. that jump height was significantly higher than both the pretest and the dynamic squat protocol. In addition, men performed significantly better than women and the experienced weightlifters performed significantly better than inexperienced weightlifters. Similarly, jump power was also significantly greater for the isometric contraction warm-up than it was for the other two conditions. And the dynamic squat power improved as compared with the pretest with men performing significantly better than women. So these investigators concluded that the isometric treatment evoked a greater muscle potentiation than the dynamic condition. And post activation was enhanced by previous weightlifting experience. As a cost effective and a simple way to arouse a potentiation state, they actually stated that simple actions such as pushing, squatting against a fixed object such as a wall or a low ceiling could be a way to actually elicit this in the real world. So overall, we do see that there
1: are almost certainly increases from doing post-activation, particularly for subsequent sprinting performance. This has been seen in both men and women, although there's probably about twice as much evidence for men as there is for women. We really do need much more female literature on the subject. The one protocol difference that seems to determine whether or not the post-activation potentiation will be effective is that rest interval between the heavy effort and the power effort, where it looks like that rest interval needs to be at least five minutes, probably six. And I think just between Chris and myself, we imagine probably about eight minutes would be optimal for most athletes, especially very experienced elite athletes. You can benefit by up to a 10 minute rest interval.
0: Yeah, they're definitely talking about that window, say six to eight or even up to 10 minutes for true potentiation, because once again, these elite athletes are using quite big numbers for their potentiating effect. So whether it's a dynamic squat, it needs to be quite a heavy load. If it's an isometric, these people are, you know, isometric mid-thigh pulling, you know, 5,000 to 7,000 newtons. You know, I've got some athletes that are single leg squatting over 4,000 newtons. So there's a lot of force going through for a potentiating. So you want to make sure that any residual fatigue is actually eliminated from the body. All right, so moving to the
1: practical applications of this. The majority of the research indicates that both jumping and sprinting performance can be increased after the PAP protocols in both elite male and female athletes. However, this should be very precisely timed, and the researchers from this article
0: recommend a 8-12 to 12 minute recovery, which so, should be individually determined. I think also with individually determined is also the type of movement that you perform. With some athletes who aren't good squatters, it's no use getting them underneath the bar. And doing a squat or even an isometric movement so look at what they traditionally do it could possibly even be if you're say for example in a cyclist it could be quite an intense effort on a bike that could be a potentiating effect as well so don't just think that you have to go into the gym to achieve potentiation it's actually been shown in in some effects you could actually sprint as a potentiator Yep, yeah, it's a high intensity stimulus definitely what well, this highlights the difference between recreational and elite athletes. It highlights once again that there's not a lot of great studies out there on women, but if you have an athlete of a good enough standard as a female, oh, there's no reason why this can't work for them. Uh, each study, as for one study that shows that something supports, we'll find another study that will refute that potentiation will work. And it just adds to the mix that there's so many factors around the efficacy of potentiation and what you need to consider as a coach all right thank you chris thanks for listening and if, if you want any more information please go to our website at snippetscience.com and also visit us on our social media at snippetscience thanks again to eliteform.com for coming on board as our sponsor and thanks you to the listeners for coming to us each week and listening see you next week <laughs>